I uh, also wanted to ask, you know, the rich man said and he lifted his eyes up in hell and he asked for one drop of water. I'd like one degree, brother, just one degree down, just one degree down. <laughs> you can pick which side it happens to. I really don't care because one of these vents is going to blow. And uh, do it, Sister Byler's side. Amber's like, yes. Didn't I ask for the air to be turned back up at the house the other night? I did. I said, it's cold in here. I need that recorded for the church. But they, y'all will never believe that that happened. All right. Well, I want to set this up a little bit tonight. You're in Genesis 11, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment and get started. Um, you know, as we look at the tower is where we're coming to here. We're going to talk about uh, the, the Tower of Babel. And um, as we get to Genesis 11 and we see this here, I uh, just want to set it up a little bit and go through it. Um, you know, Genesis 11 and Tower of Babel, a lot of things that you think about the tower is... You know, I, I get the picture of a, a, a lot of carousing and craziness going on, don't you? Um, I sense there's confusion. You know, but you really look at it, and the Tower of Babel is not, is not that uh, completely. Uh, not, not for what the Bible says. If you look at what the Bible says, it's going to be um, something ent- entirely different when you're reading it. Uh, I think we project things onto it. And that very likely could have been happening. There are a lot of the, the you know, craziness and things that go on when man's left to his own imaginations. But, you know, I, I look at it and um, I kind of liken it to this. I don't know if you've been on long trips or not. And you stop down the road. And what is one of your favorite truck stops to stop at? Do what? Loves. Nobody a TA fan? Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, that has the Dairy Queen in it on the one up towards, uh, yeah, so that's the only reason why I will stop there. Uh, I do stop at the Loves. The one over there, and when we're going up to camp, love that. There's two of them right there. I can stay there all day. I'm really not sure why. Um, I'm like, these products exist in other stores, so why do I like it here? It's just something about being able to get a shower, your gas, a snack, and a CB radio, all in the same spot. I could spend all day there. And, you know, when we're going on trips, um, I enjoy rest areas. I don't know why. I love overpaying for snacks and drinks sometimes. <laughs> I feel like, look at this. This is like the promised land here, you know. And you get in here, you can have a good cup of coffee. No, you cannot have a good cup of coffee there. <laughs> sometimes I just want to see the machine run, though. And, you know, all along a long trip, you have things that are called distractions. And that's really what those are. They kind of help you a little bit. I used to travel to Pensacola Christian College, and it's a long ways away. And I needed those. And by the way, today I need those more than ever. I need to stop, you know, more and not fall asleep on the way. I enjoy those distractions. I think we'd all agree that in the analogy and what I'm trying to share is that they are what they are, distractions, right? They're just a little bit off the road. And then we, what do we need to do? Get back on the road and continue that trip. I think there's a lot of people that in life in general, regardless of whether it's a, a spiritual application or not, 
they start things and they never finish them. And, and, and they do things and they never go all the way through. And they just fall short. And, um, and by the way, that's the title tonight is Falling Short. Andrew hates, I never give a title hardly. But uh, Falling Short, you know, the, the whole idea of those distractions in life, though, they, they, they give us an opportunity to pause, and, um, but we would not want to be caught there for the rest of time. You know, I don't think I would enjoy living at the truck stop. Um, there's only so much the CB radio can do for you. Um, and I certainly wouldn't want to use the shower. So. <laughs> but, you know, as you think about it, this is where we can come in our life. Um, you know, I, I think about how it, it's easy to get, it, like I said, the, the distraction in our life. And this can happen in, as a church. It can happen on an on individual level. Um, it, it can happen in, in many different settings. And, um, you know, particularly the church, that is one of the biggest challenges um, that we face today. And it, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the moral line that has moved with the world, the church, what's called the church, has followed closely behind it. And a lot of what's dubbed as Christianity today uh, seems on the surface to be effective and positive and tolerant. And they have tolerated things and brought it into the church and never fulfilled the journey of being biblical in their operation. They have become more consumed about the product than the process. As believers, we understand there's a product. Um, but we know that the process is more important because the product will be there if you accomplish the right process. And let me explain it to you this way. They package in these churches what so I don't want to use so-called, okay, so-called church. They package things like their messages. They're, they're, they package these messages so they have truth in them without fuller application. They'll package shallow music, but they'll do it within the constraints of the instrumentals, right? Being so people won't know the you know, difference with the instrumental part. But they'll package shallow music in there. That's the world's music, and they'll call it Christian music. And this is happening in fundamental ministries. Um, they'll they'll do a social project, and it's missions. You see, they they go so far, but they don't get there. Um, you know, as we think about postmodernism, relativism, boy, it's a great example of this. And I realize this passage, you're like, Brother Hoy, you're really going there and getting out there a ways. But it's less about the confusion of the languages and more about what they set out to do um, and, and really what the intent was. And as we set the stage for that, we know that as we've gotten to this point, Noah parked the boat. Okay, the Lord parked the boat. Uh, he didn't even have a backup camera, and he landed that thing. And they got off of it. They sacrificed. Noah had a bad interaction within his family. Ham got in trouble. Canaan was cursed. And that's all we hear. Well, we know that crowd grows up. And we know there are generations that are, that are formed during that time, and we have a list of those. 
But you know, in, in, as we come to this tonight, this idea of falling short of God's standard places humanity in great harm. The place where for the believer and for the church, if we don't operate biblically and we invite the world's methods and ways into our church, that can be dangerous. So as an application, you're getting that up front, okay? So I set the tone and the framework for this right up front. We have given up everything for unity. Um, I have a, an article here, The dangers, Dangerous Time of False Unity, and this guy, he puts in verses from, you know, critical texts and stuff, so it's, it's you know, it's, it's funny because he's, he's talking about this, you know, where liberals are, and... Um, but, but he's right. He says, The times we're living in are dangerous for the true members of the body of Christ as we near the end of this age of God's grace. Before us is this shiny lure of seeker-sensitive church growth movement with its so-called purpose-driven life and corrupt contemplative spirituality, mysticism, introduced through the postmodern liberal cult of the emerging church, converging upon the ecumenical road that leads right back to the apostate Roman Catholic Church. And it really does kind of it brings everything condenses everything down into a religious act and it's it's formal it it doesn't really um show itself as relationship you know we as believers we can do this on a personal level um you know god can start doing a work in our life we can start going down that path and then we get distracted and we get off what we're supposed to be doing what made you stop what made you give up what made what told you stay here and the lord wanted you to move forward you see a lot of times we think well we got to have the product and the process is not that important listen the process is where we live you'll never have a product that you say hey they do this in the world Try, try thinking about any great sports accomplishment. Those guys, you know what they keep doing? They keep working. Why? Because there's emptiness in those things. And you can find that over and over again where every accomplishment seems kind of empty. You know why? Because the product doesn't bring the fulfillment. It's the process. You know, Paul's running a race, right? Where's the prize? Is it here? No. You see, if he were working for a product, that's why we will never arrive until we're on the other side, okay? Until the Lord, we're able to, and, and even then, we're giving back that prize. We're giving back those crowns. We're giving back those things. It's about the process. And it's something that got lost with Noah's family. He's the blame, you know? I say that. We won't blame Noah, but it, generations down through, something happened. And, um, you know, as we look at this, you know, even the unsaved can fall short. Remember? Almost. Persuadest thou me? You know, people who, if you're sitting here tonight and you've come close and you fall short, that would be awful. You had the greatest opportunity and you, and you give up. You quit. You could have been saved. You sat in that church and you heard the gospel and you knew what was right. You said, you know what? I, I'm good right where I'm at. And you planted. 
and you said, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to stay where I am comfortable. Well, in that vacuum, you will fill time. You will begin to um, put something to work for you, and you'll become ambitious. And ambition is dangerous when it's not directed towards the Lord. I believe there's a type of ambition that we can have. We'll see here with these people, they were ambitious. They had desires. That, and by the way, when you don't have a relationship with the Lord, you'll fill it with a relationship with yourself. And it'll become all about you. You won't believe in verses like 1 Thessalonians 4.11 and that you study to be quiet and do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. You won't believe in Philippians 2.3 that says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. You won't believe in 2 Corinthians 5.9, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent we may be accepted of him. You won't believe in Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It says, but it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. I will tell you this, people who are ambitious look out for themselves, typically. You know, if we're ambitious for the Lord, that's wonderful, but that's usually not the way that word is characterized. You'll start to fill your life with, hey, can I get a, I want the new truck. I want a new car. I want the new boat. I want to have the big house. I want to have the big toys. And what you're dealing with are products. That's what you're dealing with. But what you have failed to understand and recognize that until you deal with the process, you're not going to be successful. Every one of those things will bring emptiness in your life. And they're very dangerous. You know, I think about how we fall short sometimes in Hebrews 3. In fact, go over to Hebrews 3. I shouldn't have taken Genesis 11 first. Let's start there in Hebrews 3, and I'm going to read a good portion of this. There was a group of people in the Bible that also did this, and they're a good example, so we'll just put them right up front, and we'll take a look here at them. And um, Hebrews 3, 8, let's go there. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years. Wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear my wrath, they shall not enter to my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you a heart, an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold uh, the beginning of our confidence steadfast until when? The end. While it is said, today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they heard, did provoke, howbeit not, not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom... But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that, uh, that they should not enter into his rest, to them that believed not? So we, see, so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. And let us, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest they promise being left unto us, entering to his rest. Any of you seem to come, what? Short of it. You see, they fell short. We can fall short. This church can fall short. An unbeliever can fall 
short. And these people fell short. These people had seen product. They'd seen God work miraculously. And yet they still looked at the, at the Canaan land as a place that could not be conquered. And everything that they feared, everything that they feared happened to them. They died in the wilderness. But everything that God could be trusted for, their children, was accomplished. You see, he can bring them into the land, but they chose not to. God can save you, but you make that choice. You choose not to be saved. This church can be what it ought to be, but it's a choice if this church chooses not to be. If a believer says, I want to live for God, God didn't make it hard in the sense that you can't figure it out. It's, now, I want to change that. It's hard in obeying it because I don't want to do it sometimes, right? I don't want to do some things, you know. If I go to the gym with Andrew and he kind of, come on, Dad, he's pushing me, right? Get in there. If I'm afraid of a little pain, I'm not going anywhere. So I get strapped to the treadmill. And he gets turned on and the button gets broken. He is a beast, drives me. But it's painful. If you want to avoid pain, I get it. You don't like the conviction of, of needing to be saved. You don't like that conviction. You don't like your conscience the way it feels. You know, you want to avoid it. You want to avoid pain, but you'll enter into hell. As a believer, if you don't live the victorious Christian life, you'll be under chastisement. You know, everything you fear, the pain you fear, hey, pick your pain. By the way, pain, it only lasts for a little while. That pain of discipline in our life to do God's will and to do what we're supposed to. But the devil tells us it'll be forever. If you get saved, you just don't know how bad it's going to be. You know, it might be tough. There are some life habits that have to be taken care of and dealt with by God's grace. It might be, it's going to be tough for a believer who says, you know what, Lord, I'm trusting you for more. I want to have faith. I want to have faith that works. I want to have a faith. Yeah, I, I want to... You know, I don't want to see it to believe it. I want to believe it because I've already seen it. I already know. I have a vision of it from where? God's Word. And I trust that. And I have faith in that. And I believe that. So we set this up in this way. And, you know, it's only what God thinks that matters. It's only, you know, there's no institution. There's no imagination. There's no movement that will replace submitting to His will. So that brings us to tonight. And this is, not, this is not long in the sense of the verses and what's here, but it's very telling. Let's pick up in Genesis chapter 11. It says, And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven, and let us make a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city 
and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord and the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they all have one language, and this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained for them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad thence from upon, upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, the name of it, uh, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. So we come to this passage, and the first thing that we look at is we see in Genesis chapter 11 in verse 1, we see their advantage. They are tremendously advantaged in this, in this chapter because they have something that the world desires. By the way, ministry believes and the world believes in this. That we believe that if we could just have unity, boy, we would really have accomplished something. You know, when we look here, um, Genesis, you flip back over chapter 9 and verse 1, they were given a directive, and that was to multiply and do what? Replenish the earth. And so as we think about their responsibility, their, the idea was they were to replenish the earth, and we don't know anything else beyond this point. But they have been advantaged in the fact that the command was, it was simple. They have one language. And it says in one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed peace, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, a fruitful plain, and they have this wonderful place. And, you know, as they come to this place, it, it, it's like anything else that we see in life. There are great advantages that have been afforded us. Many, many times we are blessed. These people are blessed, okay? And they are given much. I cannot think of how much of an advantage it would be to have that the, the tongue in which my father's father's grandfather, think about what was passed down and shared. Collaboration is one of the biggest productivity tools within business today. And if you can do that, that's what they're trying to overcome every day in the business world is how can we collaborate in a much bigger and more, you know, across the world type way. Um, you know, it, it's important. We want to understand. We want to know. We want to build on that knowledge. They had that opportunity. And uh, the fact that they're all moving together now, we, we assume that this is, uh, you know, it, it says the whole earth was of one language, one speech, and they journeyed. That's all we know. We, you know, a lot of people were like, well, so-and-so was. I had many of the commentators, so-and-so was not there. There is nothing in that passage that tells us that, Okay. But I will say this, that as we look at this, this is humanity moving across the land. We got the Turkish mountains behind us, and now we're heading out across the plain. And, you know, as we look at this, they, they said one to another, go to, let us make brick. So secondly, we see the method they took to stay together. You know, as, as they did this, and they began to put this together, and they wanted to to uh you know to 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 do this thing they said we're gonna we're gonna move in here we're gonna use our and, and you think about the intellect i mean i would love to be able to move into an area and go you know what if i looked at beverly i said beverly uh, there's no rocks here uh that's okay uh, i know how to build and make bake bricks and we're gonna make we're gonna make our home that would be nothing more manly 
and more intelligent than that, right? That I could just bake a home up, right? That would be wonderful. And uh, she would be impressed. It would be great. Boy, think about what these guys were like in an engineering type of way. These people lived hundreds and hundreds of years. They've been communicating. All this has been passed down. They were people who were greatly advantaged in their intelligence. And so as they come to this point, we know that they decide, they make a decision, and really this is the crossroads of life, right? This is where the decision is made to kind of get off and stop at the truck stop. They decide to go into the Love's Truck Center and get them some ho-hos and ding-dongs and uh, tater chips and some drink, and next thing you know, they're like, why don't we just stay here? This shine our truck stop is great. And we probably can make a living here, right? And so they decide they want to stay. And, you know, really the reason why they want to stay is you look at this. They, they, one, they had the means to do it. They had the ability to do it because of what? Their advantage and what was given to them there. And, of course, they decide to stay centralized. Now, is that what God wanted for them? No. He wanted them to spread out. He wanted them, by the way, spreading out. I want to tell you something. If, if we're moving together through dark woods and it's really scary and there's something out there that's going to get us, I want us to stay together, right? Because I'm hoping it'll eat you before it eats me. <laughs> if I'm out there, that's a risk. But if Brother Smith says, I'm going off alone and he's armed, I'm following him and leaving the group behind. And, and I think about it, you know, the Lord with us and with them can protect them, right? But they fall short in their faith. They struggle with their faith because they go, you know what we need to do? We need to start building. We need to start. And they go into a defensive posture. And, and, and I will tell you this, in our life, when we start to build defenses in our life, to try to hunker down and maintain what we got, we miss what we could have had. We miss where God wanted to take us. We miss the greater blessing as a believer. And let me tell you something, if you're unsaved and you're sitting here tonight, you missed heaven. And you could drill down, you can put up a defensive posture, and you can protect yourself from something that's going to prick your conscience and, and, and chase you. But you commit a huge, huge disservice to yourself. And that's what they decide to do. They are going to build walls and build a city and build a tower, and they're going to have it go up to heaven. I mean, you look at this. It, you know, they put this thing together. Let's, let's build a city and a tower. And really, the, the, the tower would represent the religious part. They have their government part with the city. They're going to pull this together. And uh, it says, whose top may reach unto heaven. A lot of people speculate about that. I don't know. They, some people say they're trying to get away from the flood. I, you know, I don't know. I do know this, that, you know, when it talks about this, it's talking about just it's, this thing's going to be tall. But, but pay attention to the next thing, the method in which they took and, and how they did this. By the way, I missed this, but it says they said what? One, two, uh another they said one to another isn't that amazing that's usually how bad advice gets started we talk to the wrong people right we talk to the wrong people 
And, you know, they, you don't sense a relationship with the Lord here, do you? You don't see them talking. You know, the Lord is not having that, that communication with them like he did with Noah. Noah walked with God. Where's God's man now? They're talking to each other. That's When we talk about the method, they're spending their time together. And they begin to, to build this tower and put it together. And what did they want to do? It says, and let us what? Make us a name. How silly is it for something so temporal, such a, such a fleeting moment, let us make a name. Let us, let, us, let us make a name, lest what? We be scattered abroad of the whole earth. They wanted to make a name, and they wanted to prevent the very thing God wanted them to do. You see, because the thing that God wanted them to do was to, to go and replenish the earth and trust him. And listen, we can protect our, you know, I've heard this with missions, right? You, you don't want your kids to go into the mission field. Well, you know what? They're safer there, right, than they are with you. You know, when we, when we can start to understand that the process is more important than the product, right? The product is, I want to keep my kids. Well, you know what? Then let them go through the process because the process says they need to be on the mission field. That's where their walk is. And, you, and it could be anything. And this is what they're looking at. They're saying, you know what? I want a defense that I can see. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Go to Genesis chapter 15. Let's get over there. Okay, Genesis 15 and verse 1, it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not. You know, it's amazing. that's said over 365 times in the Bible. And, you know, there's a reason for it. Because if you're a Christian, you have to take risk. You have to be prepared to take risk and expose yourself. But he, he, tells, he tells Abram, fear not. And he says, fear not, Abram, I am what? Thy shield. He didn't say, you know, he does talk about being a, a watchtower and a fort and all that. But my, I, I picture something mobile here. And thy exceeding great what? Reward. That's the product. I'm the reward. I'm the product. You're responsible for what? The process. Okay? And Abram said, Lord, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go what? Childless. And he talks about his steward there, Eliezer. And um, verse 4, Behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Then look over in chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold, now the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my, to my maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. What happened? He fell. He fell short. And he thought he had pain when he had to wait for a child. He thought it hurt. He created pain like there's never been before. 
You see, the things that we think we're protecting, we are damaging, we are hurting, we are the peril, we are the danger when we fall short of God's plan and God's will. This is what's going on in the tower. You see, God's will, nobody's done anything wrong yet, nobody's indicted, nobody's accused of a crime. All they did was show up and they just started building stuff. Yeah, but there was Genesis. We got to deal with Don 1. You see, and that's the way it always starts. It never starts out as wickedness, right? It starts out in just falling short, just being a little short. That's all. Hey, I'm still in church. I still show up. Hey, I'm here tonight, Brother Hall. I'm here on Thursday night. It's not about this product. This is the process. This is a part of it. What you do tomorrow morning when you wake up is a part of that same process. If this becomes the product, the church is useless to you. you, you it's got to be the process that you're invested in. So, you know, Abram didn't see it. And I'll tell you, Abram, here's, here's someone at the end of this chapter. He's the fulfillment of what they should have been doing. Get me out of that country, right? And yet here at the tower, they don't get it. They want to make a name for themselves. They are ambitious. They want, they want to be relevant through all of this. And that's a dangerous thing. As we look in verses 5 through 9, it says that the Lord came down to see the city and tower. Now, I will tell you this. I, I was looking at it. It just caught me odd. You know, I've seen it. I've seen it hundreds of times. It just caught me odd. You know, the Lord's coming down, and I and I thought, boy, that really limits the way we would perceive God. Almost like God's is like, yeah, I don't know what's going on down there, so I think I'm gonna, I think I'm gonna go down here. You know, I can't venture from the pulpit. I know, um, but. That, listen, when you look at this, this is more of what it's like, okay? What they built was so insignificant, God said, I got to go down there to even see it. <laughs> and then I got this really funny mental image of this guy, like 252, 253. And, and all God would ever hear down there, and this would just be an exaggeration, uh, to, to the best of what they could do is and he looks down and he can't even see it he can't see it in fact if God steps down there he's going to step on it and we laugh but everything that you look at as a product here on this earth temporally it's just like that. It's insignificant. And it means absolutely nothing. Because God's interested in you. He's not concerned how big this building gets. He's concerned about what we're doing and what we are. Who are we? These people, they're building something that they think, boy, God will pay attention now possibly. You know, This is act of defiance. You know, they don't have to have faith. They can see the building. They see it. 
And yet, in the eternal perspective, God has to go down there to even see what's going on. You know, he goes down, he inquires. By the way, what a blessing of God's mercy that he inquires. I'm thinking, if I'm God, inbound, it's coming, and all he's going to see is, and that would be too much, right? Just a little something to hit the stovetop. He goes down because of their weakness and their frailty, their sinfulness, their obnoxiousness. And he distinguishes them as who? Look at that. Church, look at that. What does he get distinguished? What does he distinguish them as? The children of men. Have we seen that before? We've seen it before. Look, Noah, the faith that it took to get on that boat, to build that boat, I mean, to just put all that together, what a blessing. But at some point, they're right back. Children of men, what a reference. We see also here in the counsels and the resolves of the eternal God, we see, first of all, the cognizance here of, that God took on foot. And then secondly here under this in verses 5 through 9, the counsels and resolves of the eternal God, he allowed them time. It took time for them to build this. And you know what's interesting is that no one said, hey, 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 maybe we ought not be doing this. Nobody. Folks, this, in my mind, is all of humanity. And it's on the brink of destruction. And no one says, you know why? Because there's unity. And any true democracy, by the way, is anarchy. And they might think they have it under control. But God says, hey, if we don't take care of this, what? They'll be unrestrained. And so unity is not what we're after in this case. By the way, there's, it's okay to have unity in the church. But what's the focus? The Lord? That's right. The product. The right product. But instead, they're focused on a silly building and some walls. He gives them time. And, and, he, and he allows them... To, to, to have that time, and by the way, he is determined when he goes down there to, to, to break them and to stop this. You know, in his righteousness, in his wisdom, and in his mercy to oppose them in their obstinacy. You know, the Bible is very clear about imagining things. It goes to a word, here, I look, it's actually unique. I tried to find out if it was connected to even the imagination before we seen this, but I don't see any connection there. But it's about devising. And it's similar, it'll be similar to Psalms 2 1 here and some of these others I'll read. But it says, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Psalm 10 2 The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices that they have imagined. Proverbs 12 20 Deceit is in the heart of them that imagine evil. But to the counselors of peace is joy. 
Hosea 7.15, Though I bound and strengthened their arms, yet do they imagine mischief against me. Nahum 1.9, What do you imagine against the Lord? He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. Nahum 1.11, There is some... There is one come out of thee that imagineth evil against the Lord, a wicked counselor. You know, the idea here is that they, they're, they're left to their imagination. By the way, if you're going to fall short, you have to do it based on some reason. And usually, and well, no, not usually, all the time, if you decide to obey, disobey biblical truth and snub your nose at it and say, I'm not going to do it, then you are left to what? your imaginations. And you might as well be at life's Disney World. And you just try to ignore and block out everything else. That's what they've done. In unity, they have learned to block out everything else and only listen to what their imagination tells them. And then we see here the execution of the counsels of God you know, he made them know whose words should stand. You know, their, their language is confounded. And um, it says, the Lord said, look there in verse 6, the Lord said, Behold, the people's one, and they all have one language, and this they began to do, and now nothing will be strange with them that they imagine to do. Go to, let us go down, and, le- and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. You know, he, he goes down... And in great, a great miracle, great power, and in great judgment. And we suffer from this today because of their, their poor decision there. You know, they, he, he confounds them. And he, he, he puts to naught what they're trying to do. And, you know, there was confusion present inwardly that they never saw. And God, in writing this, pulls the confusion out and puts it in their language, and now they just don't understand. Because everything that they had invested in was the what? The product, right? They were invested in the product. The product required collaboration, and now the product could not be accomplished. Now you're going to be forced to deal with the confusion and see it for where it is. And and the confusion is pushed out into the light. And now men would be divided and scattered, and the building was stopped, and uh, they leave off what God fights against. And God is able to bring all these wicked designs to naught. And think about it. As the builders are scattered, the very thing that they feared came upon them because they had a name. But, you know, even Jesus used that as illustration, right? You haven't considered. You're going to build something and you haven't considered, right? Who was the, who, I mean, if, if we were to come in here and half this room was done, no, there was still glue on the floor because that drove Nathan crazy. I see glue. And I was going, please, I hope you don't see any more glue. Because Nathan will make you, he's over, no, actually, he's the one doing it. And I'm like, Nathan, go home. It's three in the morning. And, um, I mean, you walk in here and half this building was renovated. No one's going to see the half that was renovated, I promise you. Brother Mitchell would have got here and he'd say, y'all have made this place so... Anyway, can you turn in your Bibles? (laughs) 
and it would be a testimony. They didn't make a name in the sense of the, what they thought of making a name. You see, they focused on something that that God was against. And you're not going to be successful if that's what you choose. And so the builders are, are scattered now, and they, they, they're, they're leaving that area. And, you know, <laughs> a shameful dispersion takes place. Never to come again until eventually one day all nations will be gathered back. But that'll be in a whole different time period. You know, God disperses them in his mercy and his grace. For some, listen, as, as we go through life, God does a work in our life. And there are times when he's trying to get our attention. And he's putting things there for us to pay attention. If we need to be saved and God keeps putting things there... Maybe they're difficulties or circumstances or just providences. For the Christian, the same way. If you need to be restored or there's something going on, God's putting that there. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's God's mercy and his grace. And listen, it's God, God moderated and showed much great pain. He could have zapped the whole crowd. But he measures his response with, you know what? We'll just confound the language. And they disperse. And, you know, when you think about falling short, and there's a lot of Bible examples of people who fell short of what they thought life was about. You could think about that sometime just as a study after this, but go back through the Bible and find men. I mean, I, I thought about Cain. He fell short, didn't he? You know, you can go all the way into the New Testament and look at, you know, people who, you know, like Ananias and Sapphira, that was a good job to sell that property. But you fell short. You didn't give all of it. And you lied. Well, more importantly, you lied. You, know, you can go through the Bible and you can find those over and over and over again. And in the end of the day, they still faced pain. There's no place to hide from the pain. Okay? But when God gives you the strength to bear it up, you can do it. We see in verses 10 through 26, we see the genealogy there. We're not good through that. And, um, but at the end, we see that, and just to mention Abram here, we'll introduce him, and then the next time we, we have opportunity, we'll go through that. But, you know, basically, you see here in verse 27, and, and really this is the fruit of it. I, I believe this is the contrast to what they were doing, is that it says, now these are the generations, picking up verse 27, of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abraham and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abraham's wife was Sarai, the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, and the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, and she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai the daughter-in-law, his daughter-in-law, his, his son's Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And we know that God, in the very next chapter, and we're going to introduce this in the next time we come back, but, you know, God calls him out, and he leaves and takes the risk. And he steps out on 
faith. Really? You go back to Romans, and what does it say? He was justified by faith. He took that risk. He did not fall short in that regard. And, you know, through his walk, he fell short. We'll find places of that when we start going through that. But I want to tell you something. He didn't fall short of that, that saving faith. And that was important. And tonight, if I can challenge you one thing, I don't know what happened to all these people, but I know there was one guy who got it, and he's going to figure it out. Don't you leave here and be unsaved. You take care of that tonight. If you're struggling with that, 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 that is so important. To fall short of that, it's hell. Believer, if you're here tonight and you're falling short, I guarantee you there's pain. And the pain that the devil has told you to avoid is the pain you need to go through. It's the pain that you and I, when we ignore, we face greater pain without the help of the Lord because now we're out there on our own. We need him to do that. And more importantly for all of us, it's not about the product. You can go to any ecumenical movement and they all got a product that they're, they're selling within the church. But in the body of Christ, it's about the process. It's about the transforming. It's about the renewing of our minds. It's about being what we ought to be. And the product will come. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for thy word. And Lord, we thank you so much for examples that we can find, but most importantly, the truth that we find in your word. You have not left us without a, a voice, without a direction, and without a will, plan, and way. And I thank you so much tonight that a, that a part of that and, and, and really the focus of that is the gospel and your wonderful salvation that's offered. We thank you for what was done at Calvary through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he rose again. And we don't have to fall short there. I, I thank you for the, 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 the faith that we can have as believers and we can trust and commit our life to you and give it over. What we think of as risk, they're nothing when it's in your will and in your plan, in your way. We thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray you help us to be faithful as we commit our journey and our walk with thee. Pray your blessing now as we continue to serve us. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.